Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of CareerGig and host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about agility in teams and how productivity, psychological safety, and an agile approach work together for the benefit of organizations and those who work within them. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Duena Blomstrom, an accomplished author and co-founder and CEO of People Not Tech. People Not Tech offers a revolutionary machine learning powered software solution in the form of a work tool that checks and improves psychological safety in teams. First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to start People Not Tech? First and foremost, thank you so much for having me, Guy. And uh, yeah. these are topics that are tough but necessary at this point so the more we talk about them the better sometimes i i hear myself say the same thing over and over again i wish there were other ways to put them but uh this is the time to be a broken record i'm afraid so my journey so far is uh very long but i would attempt to keep it short for um for the sake of anyone uh, listening sure i come from a background of psychology and business ended up um, in fintech for my sins one way or another a few years ago at the beginning of fintech really many years ago um and in that capacity i fell in love with agile while making innovative products for fintech and while talking to all the banks in the universe and um, it became a fetish more than anything else. My Today, my bills are in a Trello board. My uh, vacation plans are in a Trello board, you name it. <laughs> I run my life. If, if, if all post-its and Trello boards in the world would disappear, my life would not be able to be run anymore. Um, <laughs> and so that was from, a, from an agile perspective. And, and right after that, if you wish, I also became really entranced with, with the with a big gap between what technology allows us to do and what agile powers in terms of fast technology and how little of that really translates to the consumer. And in the banking industry, that was a really big gap. So I left the successful fintech um, I was with at the time and started, uh, I, I probably in retrospect going through a midlife crisis and started to uh, decide that I'm going to change the universe. I'm going to go talk to all these banks, tell them what they've done wrong, where they have to focus on the consumer and they will magically become agile, design driven and, and care about their uh, customers. Um, this was a few years ago and obviously just by, by the tone I have on this, um, it did not work out quite like that. In fact, a few months into it, I became really um, 
annoyed, if I'm honest, with the, 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 the pace in which nothing was happening. I was talking to all these boards. I was telling them essentially that they need to do better by their consumer. They have huge debt that's technological, but also huge debt that's human debt with their employees. Um, and uh, they they nodded fervently. I went home, they went home, nothing happened. So a few months into it, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I put everything I was telling them for 20K into a book for 20 quid and said, you know what, read this. If nothing else, just read this. And I, it's what I would have told you anyways in person. It's about how to change your culture and how to be agile and how to care about your consumers. And while I was doing the book, it occurred to me, um, and finally bringing us to present day to a degree, it occurred to me that this human debt that I've honed in, which is essentially, to my mind, the equivalent of the technical debt, but at, uh, at an employee level. So all the things we've missed on doing for our human beings at work, all the respect we haven't given them, all the care we haven't shown, um, all of that human debt exists not only at bank level, but at every other organization level. So my next crusade, became how do we change all the other organizations that have human debt and what are the things that would be pivotal in making that type of a change inside an organization. That is what brings us to present day. And about a year and a half ago, I started this um, startup of ours, which is now a scale up, I suppose. It took us uh, by by wind um, called People Not Tech, and which is we recognize an irony we have to defend every day because we make a software solution for teams. But uh, the solution we're making, despite many other iterations and many pivots and many tries and many tests, um, is now focused solely on, as you said, psychological safety and increasing that as a lever for performance, in particular in agile teams. Well, yeah, it sounds like uh, we have quite a bit in common here. So, you know, a a love of agile, dare I say, uh, you know, I've got some background in financial services as well and and just, um, you know, the writing books, entrepreneurship. So looking forward to, to talking about, uh, about this stuff in, in more depth. So let's, let's start with your company, People Not Tech, and its approach to teams and productivity. Um, so uh, People Not Tech specializes in identifying psychological safety factors and using some interesting technologies to do so. Uh, for everybody listening, can you define psychological safety a little more and explain why it's important? Yes, of course. Um, psychological safety is essentially the concept through which within a team you feel free to take interpersonal risks, meaning you are never stopped from expressing yourself by a fear of something or other. So it's essentially that team dynamic and that team behavior where people speak up, they offer their their opinion, they are authentic, they are open, they contribute, they're collaborative, all the good things we want in an enterprise. Um, And the opposite of it, or the dark side of it, if you wish, are the negative behaviors in which people stop themselves from doing that, meaning they um, there's a specific term with that called impression management. So when you impression manage in a team is that when you stop yourself from saying anything for fear of looking incompetent, for fear of looking uh, ignorant, looking negative, intrusive, or disruptive. So when you f- if you're afraid of those, um, of appearing that way to uh, your peers and you perceive that as a risk, then that's when you don't speak up and that's when that uh, entire team doesn't have psychological safety. The reason why this psychological safety is a big deal is that it is essentially the number one determiner of teams that are being high-performant or not. 
And the history of the term is actually really, really interesting because when we found it, and it's, as I said, only a year and a half or two years ago, we're relatively new to the topic. We found it like everyone else did, meaning there was a lot of, um, there was quite a body of research from an academical perspective. It had been studies in the 60s. There have been, um, then then the, the, the biggest body of research comes from Professor Dr. Amy Edmondson, who is uh, a very dear friend of ours now. We're proud to say, um, and yeah. she um, she had studied it for many many years in 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 various different settings and industries, in particular with a with an eye towards healthcare and an eye towards aviation, and her studies were showing the same thing over and over again: the teams that do have psychological safety that feel safe to take risks with each other are winning, and the ones that aren't are not. Um, yeah. Except the industry, if you wish, hadn't, or rather the business world, hadn't really taken notice, in my opinion, uh, until Google ran a very, very extensive study during four years, I think 180 teams or so. And what they wanted to find out in that study was what make Google team, what makes Google teams uh, successful? What makes them high performance? And they had a bevy of factors they considered. They had all the types of data you can imagine from, you know, from uh, what they are being paid, from their existing skills, from keywords to uh, gender to, uh, yeah. you know, it. so they, they tested all the variables you can think of. And the one thing that came back over and over again was a list of five predetermining factors that all of the performance teams had in common. And they all started with psychological safety. So as soon as they put that out, um, it became more of a of a of a familiar term, and uh, the industry started taking notice. And I think, from the point of view of uh, your your listeners, the most interesting bit of it has been a year ago when the, the DORA Dev, State of DevOps report came out, and every diagram starting with a, started with a box saying a culture of psychological safety. You want testing, you need a culture of psychological safety. You want your CIP yeah. uh, play to actually work out, you need a culture of psychological safety. So you name so, it, whatever you wanted to accomplish, if you were in the knowledge industry, in particular if you were making software, you had to start with that. Um, and I think uh, very important to this audience is, uh, I, I presume anyone listening to you would have read and sh- or should, should have read really, the projects, as I call them. So um, if, you, if you look at Project Phoenix, I'm sure you have seen it, and then Project Unicorn from Jim Kim, they both refer to the topic, in particular uh, Project Unicorn, and they reframe the idea of psychological safety if we want to have successful agile. Well, so you touched on this a little bit already, but you know, from a results standpoint, I mean, someone that is comparing investing in, in some other behavioral tools, like what's the... What's the biggest differentiator from, you know, from the results that you would ideally get? Right. If I'm honest, I haven't really seen behavioral tools that really look at the behavior of the employees, um, not in the sense that we refer to it. So in other words, when we started, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big make things person. I'm a big, let's put the platform together person, right? So I looked um, across the market and I did a good canvassing of what exists out there. And it, with the idea of I'll find what exists and it's worthwhile, I'll put it together and and make sure that it's now more significant and I can then go back to the business with it. And we couldn't find anything. And in fact, the only things we could find were um, the Spotify health check, which we were using anyways in our startup, um, yeah. which isn't this really, but it's touching on things closer than other things, a, a lot closer than um, annual survey or a 360 who don't even touch on these things really. 
And then the other thing that was really worthwhile was, of course, <clears throat> sorry about that, was, of course, Amy's actual um, list of questions. But they were so academic that not even our developers wanted to touch them. So yeah, I realized yeah. very quickly we have to find a way that they sound the, the questions were, are right, although they should be a lot more than them so that you have engagement that's continuous because psychological safety is not something you have or you don't have once and for all. It's something that grows and changes depending on your sprint, depending on what you've been asked to do, depending on how, how many COVID crises you're traversing and so on. So yeah. essentially, we wanted something that was uh, easy to engage with, that was... Um, checking these bits, and that was giving a live result. And what we found was one that didn't exist. We had to rewrite all this. And then in the process of writing it, we realized we can't define something as a nebulous concept, right? So we all now know that psychological safety is important. We all instinctively remember a time when we were in a team and we were making magic with them. We want that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how how uh, how much do we miss it? But at the same time, we need to know what are the levers in there. What are the components that will make it or break it? Right. So I'm I'm personally autistic, and I'm the product owner of this baby. So <laughs> so I have to go right. How do we split this? What does it actually mean? Right. It can't just mean yeah. trust. It can't just be a nebulous team dynamic. It has to mean some element of of the dynamic in the team, and that is how. We, after loads and loads of testing, we ended up with uh, six different elements of psychological safety that will tell you if a team is doing well in general, psychological safety-wise. And those are flexibility, resilience, they're two different coordinates because resilience is being measured over time and it includes engagement. Um, and then we have, of course, we measure engagement separately as well. It's a big component. But then we measure learning or how curious they are and how willing they are to learn together. And we measure courage and speaking up. And once you start measuring those things separately and you put them together, you start seeing things you could be doing as a team to get better at that. Yeah. So what we have today really is a space for a team to see this in very clear data and start putting in interventions in their people practice to increase the bits and pieces that will make them more performant. Yeah. So I guess then to take that a step further, what does that look like? And, you know, you described the six, the six factors and, and how it's measured and, and stuff. But, you know, if I'm on a team right now and, you know, what, what are the things that I should be looking for of, you know, are we, are we doing okay or, or do we need improvement still? Or like, what, what does success look and feel like? That's a, a really good question. So what we say all the time is, while we would like everyone in the talk to forever be on our software, it's probably a long way away. So what we would like to see meanwhile happening is give the market and the business world as, as much help as we can for them to do it manually, if you wish, right? Or for them to kind of attempt to address some of these bits and pieces. So the way we do it is a lot easier from a point of view of if you want to do it seriously and involvedly, it's a lot easier for you as a team leader to do it this way than to do it on your own manually as i said because yeah, yeah. because what we do is we give each team member um a, a container to ask fun engaging questions we might give them a reward so we we find those things out without you as a team leader having to ask all those questions which can be hundreds of questions before you really get data imagine if you try to do that one-on-one -on -one. but you can but it's a lot more work and then if you did get all those answers, you'd have to be able to interpret them against a score of psychological safety. And you'd have to be able to look at these elements separately and go, is my team flexible? 
What is changing their resilience? What can I do to make them more resilient over time? What can we all do together to increase our engagement? What can we, what kind of interventions or, or a human hackathon, I'll give you an example, or a team relaunch or a set of things that would bring us together on these particular bits and pieces. So it is doable manually. Um, You know, there are screenshots of our software everywhere. People can just do these bits without our software. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, don't say that, you know. <laughs> no, I'm not horribly worried because there's, there's enough algorithm in how we, we put together our data that we're not, uh, right, right. We're not uh, we don't feel in any kind of uh, risk. But, but with that said, even if they did it at the point of understanding how important these bits are and they cracked on, on on their human practice, we'd be in a much better position than we are today in the enterprise. And the reason to do that, because you said it earlier, it's, this is not, I say this over and over again almost every day, this is not a moral play. We shouldn't be doing this because it's nice to do or we owe it to our people. Both of those things are true. Obviously, it's nice. Obviously, we owe it. But let me tell you, it doesn't even matter if it is nice or moral or not. What matters is this is connected directly to the bottom line. And there are actually internal numbers, sadly, they're not public, and for good reason, because people know that these are their secret sources, but there are exact numbers as to how connected this type of high performance and productivity that connects to psychological safety is to the bottom line. Most enterprises see 40-50% increase in productivity as soon as they start focusing on psychological safety. Um, I know you also have an upcoming book related to this topic. Um, is there anything else, you know, any any teasers or anything you want to share um, that you haven't already? Okay, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll give you guys something that I haven't told anybody else before. So this is uh, nice, exclusive. Me at exclusive, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a, a chapter in the book. So, mom, okay, let me let me backtrack a little bit. So the book in itself is with Bloomsbury. It's coming out early next year. It's called The uh, People Before Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teams in the Digital Age. So because, as you hear in the title, it's going through everything, the, the topic of digital, the VUCA topic, agile. Um, there's an, actually a really solid chapter on agile, which I now fear horribly that it's, it's a bit too... Uh, to popularize, maybe I, I was trying to put together all these audiences, right? Um, yeah. And then bring it all back to all that matters is the team, and all that matters is this umbrella concept that includes all the human debt eradication, right? So it's a, it's it's a it's a difficult type of proposition, book wise, I, I accept because um, because being from trying to kind of bridge all these industries meant that I had to dumb down the agile topic, dumb down some of the people topic and so on and so forth. Now, one thing I would say is I have um, lifetime ambition to show that the real purpose of DevOps has always been, or Agile, has all, and I use them um, kind of, we, I replace them with each other and people hate that, I know. Yeah. I, I have a reason <laughs> to do so. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with that. But <laughs> this, I think Agile was put on earth so that we then show how important it is to have happy, engaged, and functional, high-performance employees. That's my view. Now, to prove that, it would mean that I can then use Agile with its astounding KPIs that show you speed and, and ability and accuracy and whatever, and use those KPIs to prove psychological safety and therefore all of these good, nice concepts about humanity, right? So that was my yeah. my hope that we can use Agile to do that. So a large part of the book had been not a large two 
chapters had been uh, structured around the idea of doing an experiment, meaning um, getting a couple of or a few enterprises in who are agile shops from different industries and testing in there within within their organization, testing, A-B testing, a team that uh, does have a people practice view with psychological safety at the center and the team who doesn't, and just kind of measure them and, and, and observe them over a period of a few weeks or a few months. That was my um, experiment. It is now called yeah. the experiment of trying to experiment, is how <laughs> of those I could find. So that's your exclusive. I haven't been able to find the three in three different places that were um, willing and able to do that. You'll have to read to see why. But the I think, sadly, the reasons are pretty clear to all of us listening. Great, great. Well, no, I, I appreciate you giving us a, a sneak peek there. And, and also, I think that's a perfect segue to the next um the next topic that I wanted to get into was, was agile. And I, I saw an article you recently wrote on, uh, for Forbes talking about how agile, you know, certainly started in, in certain silos and certain, uh, departments and divisions within organizations, but it's slowly making its way out of, you know, project management technology and, and working its way a little more broadly. How do you see that transition occur? Like, do you, do you see that as, very slow moving or, you know, and, and how does it stack up against uh, when management is, is doing things like Six Sigma, Lean, other other kind of methodologies? Like, how do you see the, is, is the transition going well, in other words, or is there still a lot of work to be done and a lot of ed- education to be done? Gosh, that's eight questions. Um, but <laughs> sorry, right. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Um, so, <laughs> you can answer okay. at least two of them. You don't have to answer all eight. <laughs> so a couple of things. Um, first of all, a correction for anyone wanting to following me. I no longer write for Forbes, and that's because they were um, um, too entrenched into their love of, uh, of, of a certain point of view, and we didn't agree on it. So I, okay. yes, I have transitioned uh, to writing for LinkedIn three times a week. Uh, twice it's about psychological safety and once on Wednesdays it's a newsletter about the future being agile. So you can, people can subscribe over there, I suppose. But Great. with that said, so I've been talking about agile and writing about agile for a good three years now. And I, I think of myself as an agile anthropologist, if you wish. So I'm looking at agile from all points of view, uh, but above all as a mindset and as as a way of thinking. So I, I always say you can't have the wow without the what, you can't have the new ways of work without the new ways of thinking. And I think from that perspective, the transition hasn't even really begun in most places to finally answer your question. So you're yeah. going to have a number of enterprise that are, first of all, we have to make a very serious um, distinction between enterprises that are digitally native and have come about in the last few years. So they have been built with agile at the heart. Um, and even there, you know, it's not all roses and, and, uh, and tea. It's, it's sometimes difficult. But, yeah. but for the rest of us who have lived the first, vast majority of our professional lives in environments where the way of thinking was and is waterfall, the jump and the change to agile is humongous. And it is understated by it being shoved into a certain philosophy. And to backtrack again, you asked about how does it compare to Lean and Six Sigma and so on. 
I don't think, I don't like the distinction. I call agile, if you wish, everything that's the opposite of a waterfall way of thinking. So anything that will allow you to split the work into smaller bits and then collaboratively grab at those bits in a way that you put your heart into, that's an agile way of work to me. And from that perspective, I can then get away with interchanging the terms uh, tremendously. So it doesn't really matter if your agile means Scrum or Kanban. It doesn't really matter if your management is, you call it servant leadership or you do lean or you do whatever else we're going to call it in the future. As long as you are keen on making things happen, have broken the work down in in ways that can be interchangeable and can be collaborative, you're good and you're agile to me. So yeah. from that perspective, yeah. it is it is sipping down be, simply because people can see value fast. But you, you're, you we're not going to be able to see serious change until we make those changes at mentality level. And they are difficult to do because we all, as I said, went through education and then our formative years, believing things have to be done one after the other after the other, whereas this new way of thinking asks you to forget that and and do them in a very different rhythm and do them continuously and be comfortable with change and be easy with the fact that you're all doing them together and have no ego. So it implies very many things that we are not used with. So unless we change those, it won't matter what type, what terminology we use, what um, school of thought we subscribe to, whether or not we plaster the manifesto on some walls or not. Realistically, we're not going to get there. And when we do get there, it will be at every level of society. I envision even education for our kids is going to change you know, fast forward a hundred years, waterfall would be a, a long forgotten mistake. Well, where do you see the the biggest opportunity for the, for, I guess, even just to make it more specific. So, you know, within an organization, let's say the, the, in the technology practice, they're already agile, but, you know, where do you see the biggest opportunity where, you know, agile may not be already ingrained or, or, or things like that with, you know, where, where, where can someone start in other words at a, at a company to really get things, get things moving in that direction? At the very top, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so your, your leadership teams that haven't had yeah. that change of heart and mentality are the bigger top. Um, we, we have gotten for whatever reason about five, six years ago in many industries, there was this circulating feeling of we'll wait this old guard out before we're going to see proper change in our enterprise. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Number one, we can't wait anyone out. We don't kind of afford that. Every enterprise that is today finds themselves in a waterfall frame of mind, irrespective of what they say to each other, is yeah. in danger of not existing in the next two to three years, in particular with how COVID and, and, uh, and the recession are going to speed that up. And in particular, if their um, competition is digitally native, is agile at heart, is focused on their people. So anyone who thinks they can just wait and not change their very top is a dreamer. Because realistically, what we need is leadership teams who have a team, because you'd be shocked how uncommon that is. Leadership teams who have common purpose, who are uh, psychologically safe, and leadership teams who are agile. Once we have those, we have a better chance. Um, And then we'll meet somewhere in the middle because the lower levels are smart and nimble enough 
there is a very serious frozen middle, isn't that what we call it? And then um, we need to start working very seriously on our top. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Uh, for those that want to learn more about psychological safety and its importance, uh, where would you recommend they look for more information? Right. So they should buy every book that uh, Professor Dr. Amy Edmondson ever wrote. There are only two or three of them, three or four of them. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong. So absolutely need reading. They should read Gene Kim, of course. Obviously, they would should. Um, and and they can also go. We have a resources page at Psychological Safety dot works slash resources where we've put all of our videos and a bunch of resources in there that people can find um, to read more about it wonderful wonderful well thanks so much for joining the show for those listening what's the best way for them to keep in touch and, and keep up with what you're doing thank you so much for having me so psychological safety dot works is where the solution lives people not tech.com is where they can find out more about us but i am on linkedin as i said please subscribe to the newsletters if you want to hear from me all the time and uh, and then just kind of reach out more than happy to talk to anyone it's it's a tight um it's not a tight-knit community but it's a tight circle of us that really get it and can move mountains so happy to speak to anyone who believes that they would like to try that wonderful well again i'd like to thank duana blomstrom co-founder and ceo of people not tech for joining the show uh, to learn more about customer and employee experience i recommend you go to my website at gregkelstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book the center of experience more information is available on my website or wherever the book is available like amazon Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.